You're listening to the One Hope Church Podcast. The following audio is from the weekly gatherings of One Hope Church in Orlando, Florida. We pray that you'll be encouraged and challenged as you listen. Good to be with you. My name is Justin, pastor here. Uh, as you just heard, um, I'm going to be, this will be my last Sunday for a few months going on sabbatical. And so just want to express my gratitude and appreciation for the church, for the elders, for making this happen. And, um, you know, at times I feel uh, unworthy of such a thing, guilty of such a thing. Um, but I know that I need some time to, to recuperate, to heal, to rest, to spend with the family, God to show up. And uh, we want God to show up here. And so I want to seek him out. I want to see what, Lord, if you will let us know, what are you calling us to give us greater clarity of some of the things that have been burning in our hearts, some things we've been talking about as a church, uh, asking for him just to lead us in that. And so that is my hope that I'll come back with greater clarity and passion, and we'll get to move into the next season um, with greater confidence about what God has for us. Amen? All right, so it is Pentecost, so I just want to acknowledge the sacrifice of Jesus, the resurrection, everything that our faith is centered on, but Pentecost is an, I don't know if I'd say equally, but it is a, a, a significant date in the, in the history of the church. If you remember, Pentecost is when the Holy Spirit came down and filled the believers and effectively birthed the church in Acts chapter 2, right? And so uh, CC said that, that all the believers, right, Jesus is a sinner, they're, they're in the upper room and they're just praying. I think it's about seven or ten days, I forget what the math is. And then in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit descends. And I actually preached a whole sermon on that a couple months ago. Um, I encourage you to go listen to it if you want to learn weeks, and it comes from an Old Testament um, festival. There's all these festivals in the Old Testament. The Old Testament people, they like to party, amen? And the New Testament church, that's us guys, we've got to take from their queue and throw some more parties, okay? This was one of their festivals. It's, it's Pente is 50, right? 50 weeks after Passover was when they first did it, and it kind of is celebrating um, the, the harvest of what was called the barley season and the, the sowing of the wheat season. So it's kind of this transition period, right? It's interesting because, and so it's a significant day. Even in the Old Testament, I think they, I think they believe that um, Pentecost was actually the day that the law was given to Moses. And so again, another significant um, a date. And so, uh, in light of that, I do want to just take a moment and I want to pray. I'm just going to pray for our time together. But I just want to sit and ask the Holy Spirit again to come and to minister today because this is a real presence. This is the presence of the living God that dwells inside of us. And so, I want to just, in, just close your eyes. You can open your hands if you want to receive. I'm just going to just sit in silence for a moment. And I'm just going to ask the Holy Spirit just to, to speak to each one of us, all right? So let's just sit for a moment in silence, and I'll pray for us. We're here to worship you, to worship Jesus. And we invite you, Holy Spirit, to come and to show up today and to stir in our hearts and to work through your word and to move our hearts, Lord. We want to know your presence as we were just singing. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. You're here to show us the Father's love, to reveal Jesus, to convict us of sin and to free us to walk in a newness of life. 
And so we ask that you would be here today in power, Lord. Help us to love you and to love Jesus more and more and more. So come, Holy Spirit. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for who you are, that you're with us now. We give you this time, and we pray all this in your name, Jesus, and by your Spirit. Amen. I was thinking in that silence, I was like, you parents, like, enjoy that silence. We don't get that silence very often, but that was real sweet, wasn't it? Parents, amen, like, wow, what was that? I didn't hear anything. It was. I want to talk with you guys about what is most important to God. You know, often we live in such a way that we, we're asking for ourselves, like, what's most important to me? What am I going after? What do I want? What do I need? When what we should be asking really is, what does God want? What is God after? What is God doing? Because we're a part of his story. He's the author. He's not playing a a, a role, you know, kind of. And so, so often we get into these patterns as human beings, and especially as Americans, what can I get out of this? God, what are you going to do for me? God, where are you? And so I want to talk today about what's important to God's heart. What's most important for him? What is he actually after? And so um, to do that, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 to 40. So I invite you to go there in your Bible, on your phone, in your app, wherever that is. I have a couple scriptures up here. Um, I'm going to read the section, Helic Teaching of Jesus. Okay, he's coming to Jerusalem through the triumphal entry. He's doing all this teaching, and um, the religious leaders are coming after him. And there's, there's three attempts they make to come after him, to trap him, so they can arrest him. And the first, you're probably familiar with it, they come and ask, hey, should we pay taxes to Caesar? And he says, well, give to God, what is God's, and give to Caesar, what is Caesar, right? He just astonishes them. And so that was the Pharisees and the Sadducees come and say, okay, we've got one for them, because they didn't believe in the resurrection. You know, then they go through the succession of seven marriages of, you know, the, the people keep dying and keep marrying the brothers. And I said, if that's true, then who's going to be the husband and wife in, in, in uh, the resurrection? Jesus. And Jesus is like, you guys, you don't, two things you don't know. You don't know the scriptures for one, and two, you don't know the power of God. He says, this is the, this is the God of the living. And so he stumps them. And then we have this third person come up who's a Pharisee, he's a scribe, and he's asking him this question. So I'm going to pick it up in verse 34 of chapter 22 in Matthew. And here's what we read. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, they're trying to test Jesus. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Now, you know, the, the, the rabbis in that day, they would engage in this ongoing debate about what's, you know, what's the most important commandment of all the 660, however there are. And so I want to know what Jesus says. And so Jesus answered them, verse 37, he says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and the first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love the, uh, your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Chapter 6, verses 4 and 5, it's called the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. You shall love the Lord with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength, right? And then he's quoting Leviticus 19, 18, love your neighbor as yourself, right? Doesn't seem kind of random. I mean, you think the commandments, you think the Ten Commandments, uh, but he's going, no, it's Deuteronomy 6, and it's Leviticus 19, verse 18. You shall love the neighbor as yourself. And so that was, you know, well known. But notice... um, What he says here, he says, uh, let me show it to you. Deuteronomy 6, he says, this is the great and the first commandment. Now, so often, we may be so familiar with this that we skip over these important words. 
They ask, what's the greatest command? He says, this is the first command. It's meaning of first importance. It's the first thing you should pursue. And it's the greatest commandment. It's what's dearest to God's heart. It's what God really cares about. Do you love the Lord your God? And the question we really got to ask ourselves is, this is what God really cares about. Do you love him? How are you loving him? Is it going to be, we had a big ministry or we made a lot of money? It's going to be, did you love me? Remember that part in Matthew 7, where he's talking to the crowds and he says, on that day, people are going to come to me and say, hey, we did miracles in your name. We did all kinds of things. And Jesus said, I didn't know you. Depart from me. See, what God cares about, what's the greatest commandment in God's mind, the greatest thing in his heart is that we would love God. How will we love him? Look at what he says. You shall love the Lord. I mean, this is Deuteronomy. This is, you know, Yahweh talking. This is mind. And Mark adds all your strength. I'll just apologize for my handwriting. And I probably spelled that wrong. Strength. Um, what is he saying? Again, we got to slow down. I mean, this is how we spend some time meditating on Scripture, thinking on each of these words. I'm going to love the Lord, my God, with all of my heart. Biblically, the heart is the center of who you are. It's your affections. It's your will. It's, it's, uh, it's how you live your life, your emotions, okay? Your soul. Okay, that's kind of like your, um, that's like your personhood, your personality. It's the word psyche, from which we get psych- psychology. God, you know, I think uh, Romans 12, 3, right? We've got to be renewed uh, in our minds and how we think about God. Are we loving God with our thoughts and then with our strength? Are we loving God with everything God has given us, our gifting, our resources? That includes, I think, your money, your job, your skills, what God has given you. Are we loving the Lord with those things? See, that's what God cares about. Are we loving God? Now, if you're like me, because the gospel saves us from all of our imperfections. Jesus perfectly loved the Father, perfectly obeyed the Father in our place when we believe in him. Okay, so we don't have to reach perfection. But we're invited to this relationship with God. So what I want to look at is how do, we actually, uh, how do we actually love God, right? Because love can't be forced. Anybody here married and because you forced your spouse to love you when you proposed to them? Yeah, I got one back here. Okay. Voluntary. You can't take love. You can only give it. Right? So God says, I want you to love me. But he's not going to force us to love him. We voluntarily must choose to love him. He can't take it from us. I suppose he could. I mean, he can do anything. But that's not love. That's not who he is. It can't be taken. It can only be given. So then the question is, well, how do we actually grow in our love for God? It never works for me. How do you grow in your love for anything? You spend time with it. You experience it. You get to know it. Right? How'd you fall in love with your significant other or, or spouse? You dated them for a while, you got to know them, and you notice, wow, I, I think I love this person. So how do we grow in our love for God? That's what I want to talk about today. And to do this, I think I'm going to suggest that there's five moves what God really cares about. So let me just uh, tell you what they are here. Let's see if I can do this. All right, the first three here. 
This is how I'm going to unpack how do we love God. And this is based really on 1 John 4, uh, 8, is it? First, 4, 10, right? We love, the only way we're going to love God is because he loved us first. Amen? The only way we're going to love God with all of our heart, mind, and strength is because we realize how much he's loved us. So to do that, we have to start with, number one, looking at the way that God, the way that God loves us. And then we're like about how we love God in response. And that's really that first commandment, loving God, okay? The second half is then number four here. Now we have to love ourselves as God loves you. And that might make us uncomfortable. And then we love others as we love ourselves. Now, of course, this isn't strictly like linear. You don't have to get number one down before you move. You're doing all these together. But this is how you grow in the love of God. This is how you love God and love is uh, what God cares about. It's the first, it's the greatest commandment that we would love God. That's how our lives are going to be evaluated. Did we love God? Did we love others well? Did we become like Jesus in that way? Okay? So let's look at the first one. Looking at the way that love uh, God loves God, okay? Now, this may be strange. We may not have thought about this a lot. But if we look at 1 John 4, 8 and 16 here, by the way, 1 John 4 is just loaded. I mean, the whole, I read the whole uh, letter of 1 John. It's just packed with all this stuff. I mean, it's just so good. 1 John 4, 8, who, uh, who, anyone who does not love God, he doesn't know God. God is love. He says it again a couple of verses later. So we've come to know and to believe the, the love that God has for us. We're going to believe his love for us. God is love. God is love. That's not all God is, but he is love. And if we remember a couple of weeks ago, we looked at Exodus 34. God reveals his name to Moses, and what does he say? The Lord, the Lord of God, merciful or compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in what? Steadfast love. And steadfast love, the Hebrew word there is hesed, and it's only ever said about God. And we can't fully translate it because there's nuances in the Hebrew language, but it means mercy, grace, kindness, love, faithfulness. It's this enduring love that is eternal, that is unbroken. Jesus' storybook Bible, this always and forever love, right? This is who God is. And now we think about the Trinity. Think about the inner relationship of the Trinity, right? We know that the Father loves the Son. Matthew 3.17. John 3.35. We know that Jesus loves the Father. John 14.31. No, the Holy Spirit loves the Father and the Son. The Son loves the Father and the Holy Spirit. The Father loves the Son and the Holy Spirit. There is this intense inner working of love that's going on within the Trinity. Right? Do you believe that? Have you ever thought about that? I mean, God is God, and he loves to this fullest expression. He's abounding in this kind of love, primarily with that's who God is. God is love. Hey, that's not all God is. He's a God of justice. He's a God of wrath. But he's a God of love. And he's directed his love towards us, which is the second movement here. So we've got to spend time thinking on the way that God loves God, this intense love that God has within the Trinity. And then we come to this idea, the way that God loves us. And I want to talk about this in two senses. One is what we see in the demonstration of God's love for us, which we're most familiar with the gospel itself. So let's look at this first one, the intensity that God loves us. Okay, this is in the middle of Jesus's long teaching, his last teaching to his disciples. 
And we taught on this when we were doing John 13 to 17 um, last year. We touched on these verses. But verse 9 says, As the Father has loved me, as the Father loves the Son, in the same way, so have I loved you. Just let that sink in. The same way that God loves God, God the Father loves God the Son, that intensity is the same intensity that God loves you because God loves in fullness. Okay? Closing of his prayer, he says, I and them, you and me, and that they may become perfect. The one he's talking about union with God, that we all have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us. So what? The world may know that you sent me, and underline this, and you love them even as you have loved me. The Father has loved them, has loved you in the same way, with the same intensity, with the same magnitude that God has loved the Son. This is my beloved Son. Think on this. Meditate on this truth that God loves God. And in our union with Jesus, when we believe in him and his spirit dwells inside of us, we are invited in in some mysterious way to the inner workings of the Trinity. This love that's existing there, this joy, this delight, and we get to begin to experience that. So this is the intensity of God's love, but then God demonstrates his love by doing what? By sending his only son to die for our sins. John three sixteen, right? The gospel in one verse. He so loved the world that he sent his only son that whoever believes in him, whoever trusts in him and his work on the cross for us should not perish but have eternal life. And sometimes I think we become so familiar with that that we, that we cease to marvel at it. What is the source? What is the motivation? Because God loves you with this intensity that he loves God. That's why he moved towards you. Ephesians 1, 4 and 5 says what? In love, he, God, predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. According to, that's why he did it, because he delighted to do it. 1 John 4, 9 says, in this, the love of God was revealed, was manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. This is the magnitude of God's love demonstrated at the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. Okay, Paul's prayer in Ephesians 3, 14, do you remember it? He's praying for you that you would begin to comprehend the height and the depth and the length and typically call these this ocean of God's love. You'll never get to the bottom of it. You'll never explore all of it. But we get to for all eternity. We get to begin to experience this love for us. That's what changes us. Okay? All of our minds, we got to understand the truth. All of our hearts, our affections, we got to begin to experience this truth. All of our strength, we got to live this out with our resources and how God has made us. God loves us with this intensity that God loves God, demonstrated in the death of his son and the resurrection. It's only when we begin to experience that that we can really be back, right? First John, again, 4.10, sorry, and 4.18. We love because God first loved us. You cannot muster up love of God on your own. Okay, nobody's born into the world naturally loving God. Ephesians 2 says we're born in, a, in, a, in, in death. We're dead in our trespasses. We're spiritually dead to God. And then he says, oh, but God, praise God that he what? He made us alive through Jesus Christ. What does that mean to be alive? 
And you begin to live that out. So we begin to respond to God's love for us, which is based in God's love and who he is, by then loving him back. Our love is rooted in his God's love for us. And so it's a very response to the gospel message itself, right? But we all know this. We know we're supposed to like feel that kind of love, but then we feel guilty because we don't really love that much. We know we're supposed to. We believe the gospel, but we're struggling to really like feel that and experience that. Anybody else do that? Is that just me? Couple, all right, we do that, don't we? Because we're imperfect. And so we actually need God's help, I believe, to love God. Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So I'm going to read a couple verses here. Let me show you. I think we see it here. Romans 5, 5. God's love has been poured into our hearts through who? The Holy Spirit who has been given to us. God's love is poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. God's love comes through the Holy Spirit. John 17, 26, the very last thing Jesus prays for us. I've made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that what? The love with which you have loved me may be in the intense love. The love that you've loved me, that love is going to be in them through the Holy Spirit. This is what you could call impartation. The Holy Spirit is sanctifying us. He's transforming us. He's infusing in us that very love of God that God has for God. And that's what begins to really change us and change how we live. Does that make sense? I don't know if you've heard this before. This was, I was really thinking on this. I mean, God's been doing all this stuff with God and loving God and loving others. And what does that mean that God loves me? And how do I love God back? And, and I've learned all these things. And I've just been really amazed at, at how God moves in these ways. And because this is like real freedom, Right? Again, we keep coming back to this. I think we just get in this legalism mindset. We know the things we're supposed to do, but we don't do them. Well, why not? I think it comes down to 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15. Because Paul says this, the love of God compels me, controls me, because I'm convinced that one has died. Many of us are missing so God gives us this love. Actually, we see it in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6. Old Testament here. The Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and that you may live. See, God has to do something to us so that we can love him. It takes God to love God back. Thirdly, love is a fruit of the Spirit. It's the activity of the Holy Spirit in your life. Now, here's what we've seen. Okay, how do we grow? This is what we're asking. If, if what God cares about most is that we love him, how do we grow in that love? We gotta look at how God loves God and then how God loves us. And then we respond and how we love God back. And now we move into how then we begin to love others. As we look back at Matthew 22, 37, right? The second part here. And the second, the second commandment is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Notice he doesn't say just self. As yourself. What does that mean? Why does he put that there? Love your neighbor as yourself. I think this can mean, you know, the golden rule, treat others as you want to be treated. Okay? That makes sense. But I think there's also a principle at work here that you can't really love other people if you don't really love yourself. 
Because if you don't love yourself, you're operating out of a, a deficit. I want to talk about loving myself because something feels wrong about it. Anybody else feel that? I mean, the exaltation of self, like, isn't that wrong? Like, we shouldn't love ourselves. And of course, we don't mean like selfish love that we may think of, or again, kind of the American spirit. That's all about the self. See, biblical love is two things. It's humble, because we realize how much we don't deserve it, but we got it anyways, and it's confident. It's humble, and it's confident. About that, I think it's how Jesus was. He was humble, but he was confident. He was confident in the Father's love for him. So how do we grow in loving ourselves, right? And we all struggle with this. Because the third thing about love is, right, you can't, um, you can't take it. It can only be given. You can't force it. But the other thing about love is it's got to be received. How many here struggle to receive God's love for them? How many struggle to receive love from your spouse or your friend? You all should raise your hands because we all do. Because nobody's perfected yet. Nobody's completed yet. And so we run into these. We'll say, well, what do we do? Well, let's look at some of the barriers, right? Where do these come from? They come from wounds we've received. They come from our story. They come from the way we've responded in sin to how we've been hurt. It comes from the fact that we're, again, all not born in a state of just loving God for who he is. It comes from the fact that we live in a broken and a fallen world, that we're in a spiritual battle, that we have in his love for you, and not experiencing this kind of love in your life, and certainly not loving others. And if you are going to love others, well, make sure you do it without experiencing God's love so it becomes legalism and burnout, right? So we have barriers to experiencing this, and they're real barriers. That's why prayer is so powerful. Prayer moves things in the spiritual realm, right? Ephesians 6, our real battle is not people. It's not even ourselves. There's spiritual things going on here. We have an enemy. So how do we move past this? Because actually what needs to happen is repentance. Because what we actually need to do is agree with God. So we have put ourselves back in the position of God. And what we need to do is repent and receive the love of God and agree with God. That God loves us. It's easier to say that about someone else, right? You probably all experience this. You're sitting with a friend. They're going through a hard time or they've sinned. They feel terrible. You say, God loves you. Like we can do it so well to others. And it's part of the beauty of community. We need that. But we also need to deal with those things that are in our heart, that are blocking and are barriers to receiving God's love for us, which is where faith comes in. Ask God to, to do that in us. It's like God, right? The disciples that say, increase our faith. They understood that we need God to love God. We need God to love ourselves. We need to agree with what God says about us. And so I was reading, um, I'll just share this quote from this book because it sums it up nicely, this kind of flow. Um, it's by Sean Nemec, who's an author and pastor. He says this, you, uh, you also begin loving yourself as God loves you. If the love of God for us in Christ has become our new identity and reality, then we start relating to ourself with that same love. We no longer live out of this worthy, loved, accepted, and secure in Christ. We know God's love for us because of Jesus. And so what we need to do is agree with God. And again, this isn't worldly, selfish love. Biblical love is humble and confident. Humble and confident. And you become secure then in believing that God actually loves you. That God actually enjoys you. 
that God actually delights in you. Does anybody believe that, that God actually likes you? I mean, many of us, we don't like each other. We don't like ourselves. I heard this teaching. Um, this lady comes up to the pastor and says, I want to love my neighbor when you hate yourself. So you're hating your neighbor. And so we got to move into the reality that God loves you. He proved it at the cross. And if you're like me, there's a, there's a real barrier there. Something feels like wrong about it. But it's true because God says it's true. And by faith, we can believe, begin to believe that, that God enjoys you. Listen to these scriptures. Zephaniah 3.17. The Lord your God is in your midst, the mighty one who by his love, he will exult over you with loud singing. God loves you. He delights in you. Isaiah 62.5. For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. Any bridegrooms in here remembering rejoicing over their bride? It's awesome, right? That's how God feels about you. He's rejoicing over you. See, man, we struggle with the fact that we are the bride of Christ. So what does that mean? It's that we're all sons of God. So women have to go, sons, well, what's up with that? Why sons? So women, I don't know if this is true. They may struggle with this idea of sons of God. And men, we may struggle with being the bride of Christ, but both are true, right? We begin to believe God's rejoicing over us as a bridegroom rejoices over his bride. That then begins to change us. That moves us into the last movement here. Now we can really begin to love others as yourself. And again, this, this isn't like strictly linear. You're doing all these together. Flow. Because love can't be taken. It can only be given. And you can't force love. And so what does Jesus say? He says the same thing. Uh, um, a new commandment I give to you. That you love one another. How? Just as I have loved you. You're to love one another. A couple chapters later. This is my commandment. This is what I'm asking you to do. This is what I'm telling you to do. That you love one another as I were to love with the same love that Jesus has for us, which is the same love that God has for Jesus, God the Father. Okay? You following the flow? This is what it's about. And then we begin to, to love others. And, you know, John says in 1 John that these two are connected. You can't love God and not love others. And you can't say you love others and not really love God. These two are connected. You can't separate them. I'll just read 1 John 4, 20 to 21. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love. The two go together. When we, when we follow this path and we think about how God loves God, right? What matters to God? That we would love him and love others. That's what we're saying. That's what's dearest to God's heart. That's the question we're going to answer when we get and we stand before him. Did we love well? Did we love God? Did we love others? And that looks that look a thousand different ways, right? Did you love God and did you love one another? And I'm saying, I think this is how we get there. And if we get this, like this will serve as loving God at deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper levels. This is eternal life, to know God, to know him, to experience him. So how, 
And then believe what the word says, he loves us with that intensity. He proved it through the, through the sending of his son to, to bring us home, to reconcile us, to pay for our sins, which separated us see, because of his love for us. And then we move towards loving ourselves and agreeing with God, as uncomfortable as it is, that he delights in us, he loves us. And now we begin to love others out of this God can do amazing things. And these aren't like necessarily that over time change lives, can change communities, can change the world. And so will we, will I, word, spending the time to meditate, to think, to slow down, to pray, to talk to him, ask for his help, increase our faith, help us believe, giving love from God and others. And we all have them. So you got to grow in self-awareness of this, whenever this like defensiveness popped from. And is that true? It's as simple as that. Taking every thought captive, renewing our minds, that we might know the will of God, the pleasures of God, into us and over us. This is the power of the church. We need that. And it's a beautiful thing when it happens. And many of you have probably experienced that. What we're in loving others and speaking truth and changing lives and changing hearts. I think when we do that, we will become the church that God has called us to be. And I hope you will commit to, and let's see where God will take us. Amen? Let me pray for us. I invite the worship team to come back up, and we will uh, continue to work. And I pray that you would, Holy Spirit, begin to move in us and identify those barriers that we have to receiving your love. I pray that you would make God's word delicious. Where do I start? How do I do this? I was just going to say it again. Just start in the Psalms. Just start reading a Psalm a day. Pick a gospel and just start reading. Just a little paragraph by paragraph, day by day. Over time, we will be changed. Holy Spirit, I ask now, would you come and minister? Lift our heart own on the praises of your people, Lord. This is the way we demonstrate our love for you, just by worship. As the Holy Spirit, I just invite you to come here now and minister to us as we sing and rejoice in our love for you, that which is most dear to your heart. So thank you, Jesus, for who you are. We pray this in your name and by your Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to the One Hope Church podcast. We encourage you to share what you've heard in conversation with family, friends, classmates, and coworkers. To connect with us or learn more, visit wehaveonehope.com.